don't know about you, but I like a good party, especially a good birthday party, right? Pin the tail on the donkey. Come on now. You can go back with me on that. I love birthday parties. Everybody likes a good birthday party. After my 30th birthday party, which, you know, you just have to guess how far back that was. That was a while back. I remember the day of my birthday was a party, and then the very next day was a what just happened. The day after my 30th birthday, my wife of 10 years walked into a room where we're getting ready to go to a friend's house. It was a Friday evening. We're going to go celebrate my birthday with some friends. And they had dinner cooked for us, and we were getting ready to go. And she turned to me, and without any warning whatsoever, she said, I want out. So I was so bright, you know, I'm so smart. I said, out of what? And she said, out of this marriage. And it was literally like somebody threw a grenade in the room and then walked out. The bomb went off. I was full of shrapnel and shock and awe and, and like a bomb, the concussion of her words. And she didn't say much. She produced a document. Turns out she'd been thinking about this and planning it for some time. So this wasn't new news to her, but it was absolutely hot off the press for me. She hands me a document that says, these will be your bills, these will be mine, and if, if you don't think it's fair and equitable, we can talk about it. But here's, And I was in shock. I mean, I was so numb, I didn't even know what to say. I stood there and just let these words wash over me, and of course... The ripple effect that happens when this kind of thing occurs. You know, for you, it may not be a divorce. It may be a death in the family, a loss. It may be a traumatic uh, experience. It could be a choice that was made that resulted in a disaster. There could be so many things from your own past that have the tendency to tether you down and haunt you. Things that the enemy leverages against you on a regular basis. We all have voices from the past. I called my pastor, who I loved dearly and had become best friends with. And I called Don and we met up in the church parking lot and I vomited out what had just happened. And he looked at me and he said, and he cried with me. And he said, we'll get through this. He said, we don't know the outcome, there's no way to know what's going to happen, but we will get through this together. And he honored that promise, by the way. Once everything began to settle in and sink in that very evening, as I began to realize, and many of you who've been touched by this, either directly or indirectly know this, that it's never just about that couple. There's a domino effect, a ripple effect that, like the center or the epicenter of an earthquake, it starts there, but it does go out and impact others. And I began to be overwhelmed thinking about who this was going to impact. I had been at that church for four years. I was in my last year of seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, and we were commuting back and forth. Don and I together and others. And so, I, all of a sudden, wait, I've gone to school all these years. I've got an undergrad degree in ministry. I'm getting a ministry degree and a master's. And, 
And this is all I've lived my life for. And now the wheels are falling off. And that night as I laid in bed by myself wondering what is going to happen. Then I began to think about the students that we had ministered to for four years. And then I thought about the deacons who hated me because I had long hair and played in a rock band who we often tore the church up with students and, and, and I'd had these battles with some of these, these deacons because they were old and mean, at least I thought. <laughs> Could be that I was young and maybe a little bit edgy, just a little bit. Either way, the result was the same. It was always this. And I was like, I have to tell that group of men. And I felt like, Anybody ever read Joan of Arc or see the movie? I, I felt like I'm going to be burned alive at the stake. They're going to now get their chance to crucify me. What they've been waiting for, a slip-up, a bobble. All my enemies. I mean, you can only imagine the things that go through your mind when you feel like the biggest failure on the planet, the biggest imposter, the biggest fake. Because you serve a Jesus who you say has all the answers and yet your life just came unraveled in front of everybody. This is where theology is like rubber that meets the road. Because theology can paint this picture if we're not careful of perfection and yet reality doesn't always live up to that picture. So now what happens in the space in between reality and the perfection that we paint to say, this is the model. This is what you should be like. And if you're a minister in a church, you should be perfect, at least above all people. Sorry. And the gap between those two, the disparity between those two, creates so much tension in our lives. I don't know if you've watched the news lately, but in this last year, I know of four lead pastors who have committed suicide and taken their own lives. That's not to mention affairs and divorces, and the list goes on and on and on. Their own children taking their lives. The two friends where that's happened. There's a very real enemy out there who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And suddenly I found myself in the jaws of this thing. Don told me, he said, all right, on Sunday night, this was a Friday night, on Sunday, we're going to meet with the deacons. And I was just like, you might as well just shoot me now. I, I, I literally didn't know what, did not know what to expect. We go into that meeting, and I walk in the room, and it's like the oxygen has been sucked out of the room. It might have just been me, but it felt like the barometric pressure changed. And there was, they were saying nothing. It was silence because they obviously knew. I sat down at the table with these men who I had done battle with more than once, and I had to vomit my humiliation, my shame, my guilt, my pain to all of these men, knowing full well they now have their chance. I might as well have been putting swords, knives, and guns in their hands because here we go, or handing them stones and saying, just start throwing. But that meeting didn't turn out the way I expected. See, what I didn't know while I was judging these men for being old and mean 
What I didn't know is that they had had some life under their tires too. They had some tread wear going on. Some of them walked with a limp and I didn't even realize it. I'd never taken the night, time to get to know their stories. And one by one, they began to share. What I thought was going to be judgment and contempt became compassion and love. That's what grace will do. It'll wreck you. It'll mess you up. As I sat there completely humiliated, completely stripped, kind of like me right here in front of you right now, completely bare, completely open, completely gutted and transparent, those men, one by one, loved me, embraced me, told me their own stories. I'm like, who knew? And they... They came around me and held me up, held my arms up, told me it was going to be okay. You never know what is going to come out of people until the pressure's on. In fact, the opposite happened. All of my friends at my church, all my youth workers and the young ones that were kind of my age, give or take, and we had done lock-ins together and youth retreats and youth camps and hung out and cooked many a hot dog and burger and devoured pizzas with students. All of them, most all of them, turned and walked away from me. I had some literally physically walk away from me in the church and leave me standing in the hallway or in, in between some pews there in the church just going, wait, what? I had one of my friends who I thought we'd grow old together kind of friend, say, I just can't handle this. I can't handle this. I said, it's not about you. Don't make it about you. I need your help right now. I can't handle this. Unfortunately, when the pressure's on, all of us tend to think, what does this mean for me, even if it's not about me? Shell-shocked, embarrassed, humiliated, found out that my wife had been having an ongoing affair for some time. And before any of you pick up rocks to stone her, i got to own my own part in this. I was so busy winning the world to Jesus and giving my life away for students and teenagers that I neglected my home. So I have to own my own share in this thing, so I stand before you an imperfect pastor. If you wonder why I worship with such passion and abandon, it's because I know what it's like to lose everything and then know the grace of God for restoration. And unless you've been to hell and back and don't smell like smoke anymore, you won't get it. But I look around this room and I see some tread wear on all of our tires here, just saying. And in the words of Will Rogers, I never trust a man who doesn't walk with a limp. We got a lot of fellow limpers here. But grace. But God. A friend, a pastor friend of mine, we, I moved back to Lubbock to go move in with my grandmother. How's that for being a successful man? So I moved back in with Granny. She took me in, loved on me, cooked for me, did my laundry. I was thinking, this is pretty nice. I forgot what this was like. <laughs> This isn't that bad. Moved into her little efficiency apartment there and did what I could to recover and heal. And a 
friend of mine, John Randall's, Pastor John Randall's, Indiana Avenue Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas, took me under his wing, took me out with his elders, sat me down, and said, Jimmy, the same God that called you to the ministry all those years ago knew exactly what was coming. He said, you've not been abandoned. You have been, not been um, forsaken. And he said, your call is still intact. And he said, I'm making it my job to make sure you're back in the pulpit doing exactly what you're called to do. That pastor and those elders came around me, held my arms up and exercised grace in my life. By the way, the church where this all happened... After I talked to those, el- those deacons, and they were so nice to me, the very next weekend we did, some of you will remember this if you've been around, a vote of confidence. How does that strike terror in your heart when you're already embarrassed, already humiliated, already feel like a failure? So that church did a vote of confidence. We had church on Sunday night back then. And the Sunday night service, and the place was jam-packed. I had never seen the church that full before. I thought, I am doomed. I even told Don, my pastor, I didn't want to do it. I said, I'm just going to resign. He goes, no, no, no. You need to let the church be the church. He said, don't write them off too quickly. So I submitted myself to this vote of confidence. Guess what? Overwhelmingly, they voted to keep me. And they came around me. And I did what any of you would do. I thanked them, and then I resigned. It's one of the hardest things I've done in my life was to resign that church. After four years of pouring my life, I'd become now a full-time associate pastor, finishing my seminary degree, and I planned on going nowhere. I planned on staying there and serving. So it was, it was devastating. Wheels came off. Everything was gone and lost. Everything about my life changed. Back to Lubbock. Loved. Encouraged. My own family came around me. By the way, very few of them were even Christians. But they came around me and did what family does well sometimes in crisis, and that's just come around and love on you. Without any expectations. And I began the process of healing and wholeness. In the midst of that, While I was at seminary, I was given a book. I was told to go get a book. I walked next door to Lifeway, and I found this book, and it was a book by Chuck Swindoll. Anybody remember Chuck Swindoll? It's called The Grace Awakening. It wasn't even a full book. It was like one of those little gift books that he does. And I devoured that little booklet in just like two sittings, like just as fast as... And it was nourishment to my soul. And you know what I had in the midst of all of that? I had my own grace awakening. That's why I worship with reckless abandon. That's why I preach passionately. That's why, here's why. Because I really believe this stuff. This is for real to me. This is life to me. This isn't a job or a career. This isn't a career path trajectory. This is life to me. It's a calling. And so sometimes I know I come off to you edgy, challenging, maybe a little too on fire, a little too excited, a little too joyful. 
When you have lost everything and you watch God show up in but God after moments one after another, you can't help but be a little fiery. You can't help but be a little excited. You can't help but be a little joyful. The word joyful means full of joy. Because you know the goodness of God, the God who heals, the God who restores, the God who redeems our lives from the pit. And when you've been that, and like I said before, when you've been to hell and back and you don't smell like smoke, you can't help but worship. You can't help but be passionate. You can't help but believe the best of and for everybody in your orbit. That's why I call you constantly champions. That's why I say you're great. That's why I say you're amazing. That's why I say you're a hero. That's why I talk about you like you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh, you didn't know that? Your pastor brags on you all the time. Because you're amazing. In this series called Overflow, we've been dealing with what it means to empty yourself. Today we're talking about our past because here's what I need you to know. And I know this by experience. This isn't theory. This isn't a sermon I got off sermonspice.com. This is from the core and from the heart of who I am. You are not defined by your past. Period. I'm not a divorcee. Oh, I hate filling those forms out. I just have to mark stuff off and say, oh, sorry, I'll explain that later, but I am not that. Because that does not define me. Move back to Lubbock, begin to recover and heal. And then I met the best thing that ever happened to me in my life besides Jesus Christ, and that's Annette Deweese. <laughs> and we were married, and that was 26 plus years ago. Hey, yes, I know I'm old. <laughs> Glory to God. Let me say this to you. You are not defined by your past. Let me tell you something. When you know who you are in Christ and know whose you are because of Christ, you will begin to live a life of overflow that is so compelling that everybody in your orbit starts to go, why are you different? Why do you worship like that? Why are you excited like that? Why are you passionate like that? Why do you go overtime every Sunday? <laughs> now you know. Because I can't shut up. Talking about the goodness of God and the greatness of God and how He redeems and He restores because I have lived it, am living it. I am awestruck and I am overflowing because of the grace of God and it's only because of the grace of God. We went to meet with, some of you will know what this is, a DOM, a Director of Missions up in the West Texas area, after Annette and I were married, and, and we, were, we felt like God was calling us back in. It's time to go. Here we are. We're limping. We're wounded. We're bruised. We are dragging piles of Samsonite with us along the way, by the way. And yet, we felt called to get back in ministry, and we sat down with the director of missions. And oh, how pious he was. As he sat there and heard our story of divorce, it was like, a scarlet letter D was on my forehead when I walked into that office. And he told me, he said, Son, I hate to tell you this, but you will never... First of all, don't ever tell me never. 
I'm warning you. That's a warning shot over the bow. He said, you will never serve in a church in the Bible Belt in America because of your divorce. So I punched, no. We got up and left. I said, thank you for your time. We walked out. And I remember the, the conversation to the car. You ever had a car conversation with your spouse? I'm sure none of you ever have. But we were walking out and we're just going, can you believe that? And we both looked and said, we will not accept that as the truth. We will not believe that. God's bigger than all that. Amen. Caveat to that, end of the rest of the story, that poor man ended up going through a divorce himself. Yeah. That's just tragic. And my heart goes out to him. I want to share something with you. This is overflow. We're talking about free from the past. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the... Go to the moving beyond your past slide. I, I, we're just going to keep it short. Listen to this. Are you paralyzed by your past? Some of you are tethered to your past. It's like a bungee cord. I was watching some videos of some bungee cord mishaps. Ooh, don't watch those videos. There's some bad stuff that happens. But, but some of you are like tethered to your past. It's like a bungee cord where you're jumping off a bridge or a tower or a cliff. And instead of, instead of feeling like, okay, here we go. I mean, suddenly that thing snaps. Suddenly that thing pulls you back and it yanks you back as fast as you were going. And you're like, what happened? And then every time you try to get moving, every time you get a little bit of traction, you hit the end of that thing and it snaps you right back. Some of you know what I'm talking about. What that is, is that you're anchored and tethered to decisions in your past and you've allowed those to define who you are now. And I'm going to tell you straight up, the devil's a liar. You can quote the scripture on that. Are you paralyzed by your past? This week's about celebrating the grace that delivers us from being defined by our past mistakes. You are not the sum total of your bad decisions. Yes, we live in a world, a physical world, where there are natural and logical consequences to the things we do and say. But that does not define who you are. It only identifies behavior, but it doesn't say that's who you are. The finished work of Jesus frees us to leave our past behind and live with purpose for today and hope for tomorrow. And those are not just pretty words on a slide. That is life. I know there are no hyper-religious people in this room. You probably wouldn't have lasted this long with me if you were. But I, there could be somebody in here who's actually very awkward about me sharing this level of transparency. But first of all, let me encourage you in this. I will never hold back from you. And I will never hide my scars. Because the scars on my life are proof that God still heals today. So my scars are beautiful. Because they prove God heals. And you know what? Yours are too. And I want to encourage you in this. Don't hide your scars. The world around us that we say we want to reach, that we want to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ, they need to know that your train wreck of a life has a trajectory that's life-giving and positive because God is good and the gospel really is good news. 
But we're so afraid that if we tell our junk or we get transparent and vulnerable that people will say, oh, see, it doesn't work for you. Oh, let me tell you something. Every train wreck in my life has a but God ending. Where He changes the trajectory by showing up in the middle of the mess. So He takes the mess and He reworks it and it becomes a message. And He takes the test and He turns it into a testimony for His glory. If you think perfection is the goal of Christianity, you need to read your Bible. Because there's not a perfect family in the Bible. I know, I've looked. Oh, and there's not but one perfect person in the Bible. And even he lost one of the disciples at the end of the day. So, I mean, come on. So here's the thing. Instead of this striving for, protect, for perfection and outward holiness and all this stuff, can we just get honest enough to say there may be people just down the street and around this area who need to hear that there's a group of people over there at Oak Hills Church who don't have it all together, but they believe in their God. And they'll accept you just like you are. In fact, they trust God enough that you can be met where you are, but Jesus won't leave you there. Listen to this. I want to show you something. John 19.30 When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. In Greek, He said, Tetelestai. One of my favorite words in the Bible. And He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. What He was saying on the cross is, I did what I came to do. I ran the race. I crossed the finish line. I finished my assignment from my Father. And because Jesus finished His assignment, I now get the privilege of living out of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Which means He died once for all of my sins. Guess what? He did the same for you. That picture up there is my left forearm. So a few weeks ago, I decided I wanted to put something, a mark, a reminder, that's not for the public. That's for me. It's on my forearm. Just make sure you get that. And I put it on the inside of my forearm so that I will see it constantly. And it's not like a bumper sticker. That will never go away. It is a reminder, a forever reminder, as long as I'm in this earth suit, that I live out of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I'm having a bad day. Wheels fall off again. Things break. Things don't work out. I lean into Tetelestai. It is finished. Some of you here today feel like you have failed so miserably and so bad in the past that you're completely out from under the canopy of God's grace. I want you to know that's a lie from the pit of hell. His grace is enough. It is sufficient. It covers. In fact, it covers a multitude of sins. And His love, His grace is there for you. And it's here for you today. If I can stand before you, still happy, still joyful, still excited. 
knowing what God has done in my life, in Annette's life, in our kids' lives. We're going to be doing a family series after Easter, and I'm going to bring all my kids in. From 18 to 41, my kids. And we're going to all sit up here as one happy, fun, dysfunctional family, and we are going to share our stuff. We're going to do a panel discussion, and we're going to tell our stories from our perspective. Stepchildren, adoption, victims of divorce. I mean, we've got a story or two. And what you're going to do, you're going to walk away going, well, at least my life's not that screwed up. I mean, (laughs) if anything, you're going to feel better about yourself at the end of the day. Because you're going to say, "Woo, wow, we thought we were a mess. But God, let me tell you, my story ends in but God. And you know what? All that stuff, all the mess of life, you do realize it's all temporary. We win. Rick said it when he was doing communion. Jesus is coming. He's on His way back. He's coming. I'm not talking about the beast in the movie Glass. I'm talking about Jesus is coming. And when He gets here, when He comes here, He's going to look at me and go, you are beat to pieces. You look like a hundred miles of bad road, Jimmy Pruitt. But my grace is sufficient. And you are loved. And I was able to use you as a vessel of grace. So if you ever wonder why I just love people radically crazy, it's because I know how much grace I've received. I don't blame my first wife for everything. How dare I? Really? Oh, but God, in His goodness and His grace, and let me tell you something about how God is redemptive in nature. A few years ago, Annette and I were in the, in the town where that happened. I round the corner, the header in a grocery store. Guess who I run into? Literally, like boom. And we're standing there for an awkward three seconds that felt like a minute and a half. And we just drop our guard, and it's her. And I say, how are you doing? So good to see you. How's your mom? How's your... And we ended up having the most wonderful visit. And you know what it made me, her and me realize? There's no pain. God has removed all of that as far as the east is from the west. There's no pain. And we walked away knowing that the loop was closed on that chapter of life. And now we can look back on it without regret, remorse, and pain. We look back on it to learn, to continue to grow. So to end today, let me say this. Failure is not final. Your failure is not fatal. In fact, it's not even failure if you're willing to learn from it. So my question for you today is this. Are you tethered to your past? Do you have a bungee cord attached to you that you feel like every time you get going, you get snapped back? I had half a dozen people approach me after the first service and say, I got something that's stuck on my back. I can't get free. Let me tell you something. You can get free. If I can get free, anybody can get free. And I want you to know I'm free indeed. In fact, I'm so free, I put it on this arm. So here's the deal. You want to be free? You need to be free from your past so you can leak out life for people in your now, in your present. Can you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for life. Thank you for hope. 
Thank you for restoration that you truly are the God who restores all things, renews all things, and even sometimes recreates all things. Lord, my grace story is just that. It's a story of your grace. It's a story of your goodness. It's a story of mercy. It's a story of love. And it's a story now in this season of my life and Annette's, it's a story of overflow. Because we have been so blessed. So blessed. That all we want to do is like the song says, we just want to give it away. Father, I pray for my friends here this morning who are laboring under the ties that bind from the past. The lies of the enemy who tries to identify them and define them by past issues, past mistakes. And Father, collectively, we set ourselves in agreement in this collective space where there's a collective anointing of grace. And Father, we we rebuke the liar, we rebuke the enemy on behalf of one another. That he is a liar and the father of it, the Scripture says, that he was a murderer from the beginning in John chapter 8. And Father, we lean into the truth that makes us free. That Jesus is the way, the life, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. And so we lean into truth. Colossians 1.22 says that we've been made to be, because of Jesus, holy, blameless, and above reproach. That is the truth. So I declare that truth over my friends here. Father, may there not be a human being who walks out of this building today bound, tethered to their past. But may they be released to overflow in their present. And with every head bowed, continuing, eyes closed, just for a moment, I just want to speak to your heart without any distractions. If you need somebody to pray with you today, It's not as deep and esoteric as we make it. It's not as hard as we make it. It's not as complicated as we make it. We can pray with you today and sever that tie that binds. Jesus is here. He's available. He's willing. And we'll come alongside of you and, and pray with you. That bungee cord, that tether gets severed so that you don't have to live chained to your past. And this can be a new day for you. I had a girl in rehab come to me between services and just tears in her eyes, thankful for what happened here this morning because she saw the chain link get broken out of her life to her past. She walked out of here identified as daughter of God, beloved. And you can do the same. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up here, our elders, anyone who's available, if you would, part of our prayer ministry. If you would go ahead and come to the front before I dismiss. And when you come up here to pray, after we dismiss, you don't even have to go into a long explanation. We don't need that. We just want to be here to support you and pray with you and stand with you. You don't have to explain everything. In fact, don't even go through the humiliation of that. Let me be the one who aired my junk today.
You just come up here and we'll come around you and we'll love you. And we'll define you like God defines you. Because really, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So, Father, I pray for my friends who will come for prayer after this service. Lord, I thank you for your anointing and your grace to heal and to sever those ties and to bind the enemy from these lives that they may thrive, not just survive. You've not called us to survive. You've called us to thrive. So I speak life over my friends. Thank you for your grace. We honor you and love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen.